We're going to talk about the, the state of manufacturing. We've uh, got uh, here uh, Tom Wolfslayer. He's a quality engineer from Ameridrives. And Tom, thank you for coming in early. I appreciate it, man. She'll get your mic. Oh, okay. There you go. I got yeah. you. Here we go. Right. Yeah, no problem. Um, just on. I didn't know how long it was going to take me to get out here from where I work. Sometime I have to. With our our shop is right in between the railroad tracks on Pittsburgh Avenue. Yeah. Sometimes you have to sit there for a while before you actually get out. So it. But today I got right out. Yeah. So, how's that yeah. for a working environment for you? As it because you're an engineer. Are you well, like doing some design stuff? Or? I'm an engineer in a very loose loose definition okay. of engineer. So part of what I'm going to, what I'd like to talk to you about yeah. today is, is, uh, you know, I didn't go to college. I'm, I don't have an engineering degree. Okay. Okay. My title is quality engineer, but it's, it's because of, uh, a good portion of my lifetime I spent learning. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, we can, we can get into that in a little bit because right. that's kind of part of what I want to want to talk okay. about today for how people, uh, can have a good future in manufacturing yeah. without a four-year degree. Okay. And, uh, and so anyway, yeah, I got here a little bit early and uh, I was listening to the conversation from Friday. Yes. Basically. Yes. And boy, I agree so much with, with everything everybody <laughs> said on that. I mean, it's, and when you said it, you know, it's not what your church can do, but what your church can do for you. What you, you can you know, do for it, your church, right? It, it's, uh, <laughs> it's so true because, you know, the more people you can get involved, the more people you can help. Right. A- so, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're all called to, uh, serve one another, serve the least of these and, and, uh, the more the merrier. It, it, it's it's fun. It's rewarding. It is. It goes to a place in your heart that maybe has been locked up. I, I don't want to use the metaphor too far, but you know, for some of us, uh, you know, our hearts have been kind of closed. Right. And yeah. and so when you're able to serve people, whether it's at Serve Erie or at the our neighbor's place or or just you know. And I love my neighbors who come and snowplow me out after a day like yesterday. Right. They're just, you know, they're they're opening their heart just a little bit to be neighborly and to yep. be a friend. And boy, that's that's a fantastic feeling. So yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit about the the big stuff in manufacturing. If you want to weigh in, it's a good time to call right now before we get really deep diving. Six seven nine ten eighty. We've tested it now. It does work. Also, uh, you can listen live now uh, on our stream. Just go to talkerie.com, click on the Listen Live button. Tom Wolfslayer from Ameridrives. And, and Tom, we were just kind of chatting back and forth that, you know, Erie's always been known for what it makes. Again, we've done some of the kind of the more basic foundry type stuff, but more of the advanced manufacturing, coming out with an end product. That would go right to the consumer or right to the business, right? Absolutely. You think about, you know, Erie Press Systems, how long they've been around here yeah. and uh, some of the the changes technology that they've technology wise that they've gone through over the years. I know my former employer, uh, Meadville Forging down in, in Meadville there bought a big press from a couple of years ago. Yeah, these presses are like two building sizes. They are. I mean, I don't even know how they, they had to, them. you know, get special permits to get it down there. And uh, it, it was really amazing. But, you know, think of, uh, you know, Rogers that's been here forever, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the riggers, the riggers, yeah. they go all over the Northeastern United States, taking in these great big presses and, and systems into these factories. And really, I think one of the reasons why they're located here is because so much of that stuff used to come from here right. and some still does. Yeah. But, you know, the history here, we were, we were talking a minute ago that I, I remember my grandmother had an Eries, E-R-I-E-Z. Named after gas, the Indian tribe. Right, right, gas right. stove and oven. Wow. In her, she had like a little, like a mother-in-law apartment upstairs okay. and that was in her upstairs kitchen. And uh, I just, I happened to see one the other night. I forgot all about that stuff. And then when I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, my grandmother had one oh of those. Oh my goodness. That had to be from the early 1900s. And you hear about, you know, the ringer washer. Oh yeah. You know, uh-huh. the, what is it? Level place. You know, the level ringer. I mean, yeah. you know, the capital of the planet for ringer washers a hundred years yeah. ago came from here. And, yeah. you know, they, they made the the GE refrigerators with the little top on, you know, the compressor on the top, yep. the ice boxes were made in Erie, Pennsylvania. And talked about my mom's, you know, winding uh, a, a, a motor with, you know, with wire, Sure, you know, a, you know, one of the what 14,000 plus people that were working in GE at the end of the fifties, you know, right. Uh, again, that post-war era, um, 
you know, was was a pretty short one before the decline start hitting. But was, uh, yeah, boy, boy, did we yeah. we flourished during that post-war era. We did. Yeah, I'm I'm from Cameron County. I'm from Emporium. Okay, and that's the home of Sylvania Electronics. So. Wow. During the war years, that I mean, Emporium was a booming little town because they made tubes. They did all kinds of Department of Defense stuff. But in the 60s, when transistors started coming around and then the 70s, when, you know, printed circuit boards were becoming the thing, you know, mm -hmm. technology was advancing. Sylvania ended up selling out to GTE. And, you know, I mean, oh, right. the, the whole that was the economy of that town. And uh, it's it's been on a decline ever since then. But you, you know, know, when I when I was a kid, uh, when I first started making money uh, uh, myself, I wanted to buy my family a new television set. And what did I buy? A, a Sylvania, Sylvania super set. Yeah, it, yeah, you know, and that was known as had the best picture on the market. And, they were, you know, they and, were about the best TV you could buy. I remember my uh, I had an aunt and uncle that both worked there. And they bought a new one in like 1962. I was just a wow. little kid, but yeah. it had this illuminated bar <laughs> around the whole screen of the TV. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And I didn't know anything about color TV yet. Yeah, that, was, that sounds like yeah. the Jetsons, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> sounds like we're old. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like we're old. Hey, we're coming up against news here. We're going to talk, dive right in to the state of manufacturing. If you want to give us a call, it is uh, 679-1080. We're talking about manufacturing, and uh, I'm glad to have my friend Tom Woolslayer. He is a quality engineer from Amera Drives International, and he is here in our studios as we talk about the state of manufacturing. It's a little bit different take today, Tom, because we're not talking to necessarily like the big organizations involved, but we're talking to the practitioners. We're talking to the people that, you know, tomorrow morning you're going to be back at it you know, doing your quality control, you know, right. uh, and uh, we'll have Phil Kerner, who's, you know, will be back at Tool and Die, you know, and and uh, Mr. Rose from the plant manager at Lourdes will be back, you know, walking the plant, making sure that the uh, that things are under control. And so this is the these are the people that are working the business day in, day out. Erie is known as a manufacturing town. My favorite nickname for Erie is it's a maker city. We make stuff. And whether whether it is uh, in what you're doing at Ameridrives or that we are we're making you know uh, three thousand graduates a year at our universities, we're make you know we're 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 raising these young people up to go into the world to make a difference. We're we're making hope happen through uh, our recovery programs and the things I, I I you know and and we're making healing happen in our in our in our uh, uh, hospitals and things. I mean, this is a maker city, but today we're going to be very specific about what we make, and we're talking about manufacturing. And and I believe truly that if you don't make stuff, you can't buy stuff, and that is yeah. why manufacturing is so important, not only in Erie but in our entire country. Uh, we've seen a lot of jobs go overseas. Everybody knows about that, but a lot of those jobs are coming back now. Yeah, that's because we're becoming trend. more competitive. We're catching up technology-wise with you know Japan and. You know, China is going to have an edge in, into the foreseeable future for sure. And, you know, you know, Korea is coming along even in, in South Africa. There is, you know, some some inroads being made in manufacturing that are going to compete on a global scale. And of course, India. But, you know, I think that the United States is going to be OK if we can fill the jobs that are going to be coming open in the next 5, 10, 15 years because guys my age, your age, mm -hmm. we're the baby boomer generation. You're right at, I think, right, I'm right at, at the, the very end tail there. end. Yeah. And I'm, I'm close to the end, but not as close to the tail end as you are. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so so we're, we have that brain drain, right? right. You know, all, these, all these workers that have spent a lifetime learning their trade um, and what companies are not doing a good job of right now is getting that information back okay. so that they have it to train to the new people coming up. So, but, but I, as far as a future in manufacturing, there is absolutely a great future ahead in manufacturing for uh, people that are willing to learn. Cause you're, if you think you're just going to go to a, a shop and get hired with no experience and that you can go in and push a button on a machine, 
There might be a few of those jobs, but you're not going to get paid very much for that. So let me roll back to you because I want to know how you ended up in manufacturing. (laughs) Now, you said you grew up in Emporium. Right, right. Emporium, Cameron County, Elk County, that area is the heart of powdered metal industry, right, in the eastern United States. So I wasn't college material. I didn't, you know, go to college. Uh, But my first job out of high school was for International Powdered Metallurgy in Ridgeway, Pennsylvania. So I drove from Emporium to Ridgeway, got hired as a material handler, had no experience. You know, back in those days, you could get away with it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, did went to work every day, did my job and uh, an opening came up in their secondary department, which was drilling, tapping uh, lathes and things like that. And uh, I did like an apprenticeship for what they called back then as a jig setter. It was like a setup person that, okay, you know, yeah. handled that and, and worked there for a couple of years doing that and probably should have stayed there. If, if I would have stayed there, I'd be retired now for mm-hmm. sure. But I was kind of lured back to Emporium by a company called Pennsylvania Press Metals, which is now GKN. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't have to travel every day and we were thinking about moving to Ridgeway. My wife's parents didn't really want us to do that. So I, I went to Pennsylvania Press Metals and it just was a different, it was a different atmosphere there. Um, learned a lot while I was there, but, uh, you know, it really didn't work out. So are so, these all company towns? I mean, yeah, sure. like one big, sure. you well, know, like, uh, you know, or, or multiple companies doing the same thing. Right, in the, in right. That, in so St. Mary's, Ridgeway. Um, Emporium are all powdered metal towns. Johnsonburg has always been a paper mill town. Yeah, that's going to say, you always knew when you drove through Johnsonburg, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, so, you know, back in, back in the seventies, you could get a job without experience and you could get experience on the job. That's the whole 12th street uh, yeah. narrative. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, leave, leave one foundry, go to the next one. Yeah. And but you can't do that. You, and no. you don't want to do that anymore. I, I've looked back on, you know, the jobs that I've had in my life, and I'm very fortunate to have worked with some great people, not only in manufacturing, but the little detour I took down the radio road. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but I, I have learned so much. And but if I would have stayed at that first job, yeah, I would have I would have been so much better off, really. Well, yeah, again, you can't look back. No, you can't. But yeah, you keep moving forward. Yeah. The, the uh, So you would say the state of manufacturing in Erie County is, is a bright one? I would say it's getting brighter. Um, I think there's still, I don't think we're quite where we want to be right now. I, I, there's jobs. I mean, if you have a little bit of experience, you can get a job in Erie in manufacturing. Um, if you have any machining experience if you have any cnc experience especially um you can get a job in erie now some of those jobs don't pay quite as much as maybe some of the other ones do and the higher paying jobs are less plentiful right now but i think that's going to change because technology is going to make it change you know uh uh respond to the fact that manufacturing employment in erie county is nearly double the percentage of the rest of the state of Pennsylvania. Is that a good thing in your opinion? I mean, it's like 20% versus 11% in all of PA. Right. And I think it is a good thing. And, you know, when you think about it, think of what it could be, right? If we had... It could be 6%. Well, it could be, but it could be 24. You know, we've lost a lot of companies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, unfortunately, you know, in the 80s... 90s, you know, in that era there, we, we lost a lot of jobs. Yeah, I mean, I think about the you know, signature jobs yeah. that we were known for, the hammer mill, the Steris. I mean, I mean, you, you, you start talking about some of these, sure. these um, American sterilizer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that I worked at a hospital where everything that you touched, you were two feet away from something that was made at AMSCO. Yeah. And uh, to, for that to be gone right now is kind of shocking to me even now. 30 years later. What's really shocking is that building isn't full. There's a couple things in that building, but there is a lot of square footage available in that building there still. Mm -hmm. But manufacturing is not by any means dead. I think it's going to grow and I think it's going to grow a lot in the next 10 years. We have some smaller shops that are uh, kind of on the cutting edge with some things, you know, and and they're going to grow. The whole advanced manufacturing Mm -hmm. and the, the, you know, knowledge-based... But uh, talk about this skill short. Let's let's jump in on that. Uh, you're concerned. I am concerned because in the in the next ten years, 
their technology is going to be a much larger part of manufacturing than it is now. In order for our country to be competitive on a global scale, we're going to have to get into automa autom automation. And so people are going to have to know how to program, you know, the robots that load machines and, and the machines themselves, you know, they're going to have to know CNC code. Uh, most of uh, a lot of the machines are it's what's called FANUC control. It's F-A-N-U-C. I have no idea what that stands for. Somebody told me once, but I can't say it on the radio. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and then there's Mazatrol, a company called Mazak. Those are probably the two most common ones. And and the the robot controls are mostly FANUC controls as well, I would say. So you can learn that language and be able to program the robots and the machines. And so you're, you're really saying that the, the key is to lean into the eventuality yes. of the coming automation. Right. Uh, you know, just like the CNC operators did, you know, 20 years ago, 20, 25, 30 years ago when, when it was in its infancy right. then, and it's much different now than it was then. But if you get those skills and you have them, you're going to command a much better wage than if you don't. And the reason why is because we're going to have such a shortage of those people. And even in the next few years, there's going to be a lot of re people retiring that have those skills. How do we replace them? What about the, the folks that... I, one of the hard things for a layperson like me to, to thread the needle on is that you hear about these layoffs, maybe at, at, at a GE or elsewhere, and, and you have this skilled labor, and then you, you're saying, though, geez, we're, we're looking for laborers. You know, I, can you uh, help me understand that, uh, that, that incongruity? We have, we have hired some people at our shop that worked at GE. They worked at our shop first, some of them did, and then they left and they went to GE, and now they're right. back. Right. Uh, and the, you know... A lot of the people that, and, and I don't know this for a fact, but I think that a lot of the people that have lost their jobs at GE have either learned a new skill or they've gone somewhere else where they can apply their old skill. A lot of people took early retirements. You know, I mean, a lot of those people were getting up there in age. They offered them, they made them an offer and they took that offer. So they're not concerned about going back to work. So, so you're, you're really thinking that there's not like a sitting pool no. of 1500 people ready no, we don't have a surplus of of qualified people to go to work in in some of these shops everybody knows somebody that works at a shop or works in the front office of a of a uh, of a plant that makes something and uh it's just super important it's it is uh, a strong part of our heritage is a strong part of our future and we want to keep it that way. It's also a strong part of our community. Absolutely. You think about the donations from companies, you know, larger companies and what they do in town. GE has been a, a huge supporter of things in Erie for a very long time. And it's not just them. Erie's Magnetics is a uh, big oh con gosh. contributor. Um, you know, and our, our company, even though we're not a big heavy hitter, you know, we do as much as we can. And it's, I think everybody all around the manufacturing community does. But, you know, it's... We're talking to Tom Woolslayer. He's a quality engineer at Amira Drives International over on Pittsburgh Avenue. And and Tom, uh, I I want to jump into this concept of you know parental attitudes. You know you know sometimes the biggest negative attitude comes from the parents that work in manufacturing telling their kids don't work for the shop. Right. I got that when I was when I was younger. One of the reasons why I left manufacturing and went into radio is because my family said you don't want to work in a factory your whole life. But the reality is, here I am back in manufacturing and have been for the last 15 years, and I'm doing much better financially. <laughs> I mean, anybody that's in radio knows it's not really a smart career for money. But, uh, you know, it was fun. But, uh, but really, there was a survey taken recently, and even though people say, yes, manufacturing is a good career, one third of the respondents said that they did not want to work in manufacturing, and it was the last career of choice of people between the ages of 19 and 33. Wow. Which is, that, that's kind of scary. It we doesn't bode well, people. does it? We need those people that are 19 to 33. And you can, you can get yourself a pretty decent education to get into manufacturing and get a good starting wage with a two-year degree. You don't need a four-year degree.
what uh, is the most satisfying thing at your job? Let's let's paint the my picture. job. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, people say factory work's boring. Let me tell you, my job is not boring. As a as a quality engineer, um, when there's problems, when things don't go the way they're supposed to go, the first place they come is the quality department. Right. And so, you know, we have to investigate what happened. Um, we look to the engineering department where the real engineers are. <laughs> and and you know present them with the with the problem and you know is this something we can live with is it something we can fix or is it something we're going to have to scrap what exactly what is Ameridrive known for what do they make we make we make couplings okay. and so we make the thing that's in the middle of whatever the driver is and whatever needs driven so we do a lot of work for the oil and gas industry. Sure. We do a lot of work for the energy industry. We um, we have a U-joint and spindle product line that we do a lot of work for steel mills, which that part of the business has picked up in the last year. Is so. that right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we make the thing in the middle. And the, the unique thing about our couplings is uh, we have a design where they don't have to be aligned perfectly actually. So there's flex at each end. And it makes the uh, the final assembly for that company. They don't have to have everything in a perfectly straight line, gotcha. and they'll still work. They'll still transfer that torque and movement that's needed to drive whatever it is that needs. So to be you're driven. you're basically putting two other companies' products together, right? Um, in, right. in in whatever yeah. uh, application. It yeah, there's usually it's you know usually a pump end or a gearbox end or a, yeah. a generator end, you know, so that to something that needs turn. And we do some work in the uh, the wind turbine business also. Oh, we make okay. Some parts for that. Yeah. Well, again, that's uh, an up and coming area there. Of course, uh, there's a lot of build out already on in wind turbines right. or whatever. Um, you know, from where you say, we, you're, we're talking about, and, and if you have a question for Tom Wolsayer, we would encourage you to give us a call at 679-1080. Or if you want to weigh in on the skills situation uh, in manufacturing and, and the lack of, of uh, young people coming up with the skills needed uh, to uh, take, us, uh, take our region into the next uh, decade, um, you know, for manufacturing. But yeah, let's talk about the community college. Um, yeah. Uh, what's your take on it? You know, initially I wasn't really a big fan of the idea, but, uh, you know, the more I've looked into it and, and looked at the different curriculum that could be offered there and the advantage of it being a low cost option for people that really need that low cost option, um, they could teach the skills that are going to be needed in the next five, 10, 15, 20 years at a low cost and where a two year degree will do you just fine. It's the agility of the thing that seems to interest me the most that, you know, if you're, if you're needing this type of engineering or you're needing this type of, of, of a CNC operator, you know, they could switch to the latest version of the software or switch to the latest version of the, the interface, a human interface and, and teach that. Right. And, so, you know, there, there's going to be like the programming part that we talked about earlier. You're going to need to know that. Um, another thing that, that I think they should consider in their curriculum is problem solving. That is, that is huge nowadays in manufacturing. You have to be able to see something, okay, that's not right. How can we fix it? And how can we make sure that that doesn't happen again? So you have to have a like analytical type thinking and you have to be able to see the problem and then figure out a way to stop that problem from reoccurring. Do so. you see mentoring going on at your plant, though? I mean, or, or, or like in, in, in the young people that are coming up, one of the biggest complaints is the lack of tenacity or grit, um, the soft skills. Yeah. Uh, I don't see as much mentoring as I'd like to see. But then again, on the other hand, I don't see as many questions being asked by some of the younger people that I would like to see as well. So I think it's a two-way street there. And I think that's where management has to get involved. And, and I encourage any companies out there listening uh, to think about upskilling your employees. I mean, it's like I have had a lifelong journey of learning. Every opportunity I have gotten to go to a training on this, that, or the other thing, whether it directly affected me or not, if I could go, I went. Yeah. And there are some things that I even paid for myself to go. So if you're an employee that lacks some skills, if you have an opportunity to get some training, talk to your employer, see if they'll help you with cost. If you are an employer, look for those trainings that are available. I mean, there's all kinds of things out there now. 
you can you can even do things online. However, I still like the classroom style training better. Uh, but I encourage employers to to take advantage of that and, and upskill their employees because it pays off. Do you feel that employers are getting that message? I mean, uh, part part of part of the, one of the big complaints I hear about employers in general in this town is that uh, e- either they don't want to pay enough or they want that very specific skill set. I want you to know this version of this software and be able to jump right in and do it without any training. And that just seems an unrealistic situation with a tight labor force. I have an answer for that. Good, Go. good luck with that. <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> because there are so many different types of software out there. Right. Uh, you know, whether, whether you're a programmer or whether you're a drafter or a designer or something like that, you know, I mean, there are, there's hundreds of different softwares out there. So uh, even, even in the quality business, you know, we have, coordinate measurement machines and there's probably i don't know eight different types of software that there that you can use for those uh so to have a specific skill set is is not i i don't think that's really uh you know it, what, then, what you can expect right. your, your your prospective employee to have if, if you can find one great right but you know you said are they receptive to the training and, and if they're not now they're going to be because upskilling your employees that you have is going to be how you're going to survive. You know, I mean, it really is. I mean, we're going to have to get this training for the people to get to this next level, to this next technological level that we're getting into now. And uh, you can't just, you can't just have somebody come in and push a button anymore. It just doesn't work. And I I would imagine a final word that a character is, is the biggest skill that you want your employees to come Absolutely. And as, and as an employee, You have to be motivated to learn. So if you're someone out there working that needs to learn some more things, be motivated to do that because it pays off. It really will pay off. And if you have to do it on your own time, you do it on your own time. Tom Woolslayer, quality engineer at Ameridrives International. Caller, are you on the phone? Hello, caller. Yes, I am. Go ahead. Can you hear me now? Yes, go ahead. Hey, Joel. Yes, sir. Long time listener, second time caller. <laughs> Go ahead, okay, real, real Joel, quick. You know the... Yes. Okay, real quick. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what do you mean, real quick? Listen, I have a couple of points. Number one, as a long time uh, professional teacher, you know, when, when, when anybody talks about um, kids being problem solvers, <laughs> That, that's a very uh, tricky uh, wicket, sticky wicket. Um, that just doesn't happen, you know, because they, they go to community college or, you know, that's a background their whole lives. What kind of, you know, family uh, situation they come from, what kind of jobs they've had as kids. I mean, I got my first paycheck at 13. Um, and, I think it took me a long time to develop those kind of skills. So I'm a little skeptical. I have to be honest. Um, I'm skeptical about skeptical about a lot of things, but that one, kind of, you know, that seems like a hard nut to me. Secondly, if a kid has an aptitude for technology, with all due respect, why would they want a dirty job, or why would they want a less paying job than they could get, you know, in a in a high tech sector? If they really possess the aptitude, that's where they should gravitate to and, you know, really get rewarded for their gift. What do you think? Something to talk about. We're going to we're going to have a conversation with two people that are in the know about this. Thank you for for calling in. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, some some valid points here as we talk about the state of manufacturing. Um, you know, I, I've, I've got, we're going to tag team here because we've got two folks from two different parts of the manufacturing world. Uh, to my left is Mark Rose. He's the Erie plant manager for Lord Corporation. Hello, Mark. Good afternoon. So glad that you're here. And Phil Kerner, the tool and guy die, uh, the tool and die guy. God, yes, <laughs> How are you? Congratulations, too. This is awesome what you're doing. Uh, this I, is, uh, I, the streaming part is the cherry on the parfait. Good job. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you're, you're both here because you kind of are probably speak the same language, and I'm like the communications guy on the, on, on the sidelines here. What is shocking to me is that uh, Erie still outperforms the, the whole state as far as percentage of folks involved with manufacturing. 20% of the county, uh, according to this statistic here, is in manufacturing versus 11.5% in all of Pennsylvania. So it's super important. So I'm going to start with you. Um, uh, Mark, what is the state of manufacturing in Erie County as you see it? I think the, the state of manufacturing is growing. Uh, I think um, we've seen some industries uh, that have left, but we have many, many successful industries that continue to grow in Erie. And I think there's lots of opportunities for uh, for new employees to join the workforce. There's opportunities for uh, new companies to move into the area. And uh, I, I think uh, the future is bright for manufacturing in Erie. Uh, Phil, how do you take that question? As you sit, you know, as you look at your, your friends in manufacturing, where, where are we at in Erie County, especially? Well, let me, t- my opinion, okay. Um, first of all, you know, Lords is a, you know, one of those blue chip companies Absolutely, in Erie. In fact, yeah. uh, we were talking out in the lobby about uh, you know, 1924, I believe you guys have been around since. Yeah, yes. It's an amazing story there. Yeah, and I, I love the story of the, of the idea of Mr. Lord hearing the squeaks of the vehicle walking, driving past his house and said, I could probably come up with something to fix that. That's you know? exactly right. right. <laughs> it's amazing, you know. And, uh, of course, uh, the, the place I work at, industrial sales and manufacturing, and that's that's a, a, a eerie success story. Um, just last uh, two years ago, they celebrated 50 years of business. Now, yeah. for somebody who starts a place today at manufacturing, it's it's you're you're doing good to make it five years. You make it through mm. the first five years, you're you're on your way. So they've made it through the ups and downs of the last 50, as we've watched, uh, kind of eerie go, you know, up, up and, and down. down. Now, my specialty has always been my family specialty was the toll and die business. And that took a hit, a big hit. I was going to ask you, I, I, um, has that recovered from like that big dip in what, 15 years ago? Or was it about around, fi- the, about, around the recession? About or? 15 years ago. And um, I could trace it back to this. Everybody complains about NAFTA. Everyone's yeah. a scapegoat, right? Uh, within one year of uh, China being let into the World Trade Organization, I, I was done. I closed my doors because wow. I was in heavily in the toy business. And every one of those toy companies set up shop in China. Okay. So the big lament for me wasn't that I learned the wrong trade. Did I spend 30 years getting good at something uh, to pick the, the, was I the last buggy whip maker? Right. right. When the car came in. I wasn't. They're still building um, dyes and molds, but they're just being built for 10 cents on the dollar. Or gotcha. The Pacific. So, so that, that's really the, the key. Your, your position at Lord though, is in a different place because- um, you know, it, it is, uh, you, you know, there, there are, uh, there's a lot there with the, uh, government that you deal with at, at a very high end, um, you know, de- defense contracting and so on. And we don't even, I'm not going to ask you questions that you can't answer. <laughs> right. Uh, Mr. Rose. Um, uh, but, uh, the, the concept of, um, you know, that very high level manufacturing, what kinds of jobs are available for, uh, can somebody just walk in with no training and, and get a job at Lord these days? Uh, to some degree. Uh, we have we have three plants in northwestern Pennsylvania. That's not always widely known. We have the one in Summit Township. That's our largest. We employ about 650 employees. We have a facility in Cambridge Springs uh, and have about 120 employees there. And then we have uh, a larger plant in Sagertown where we have uh, over 250 employees. And we all have... Uh, different types of products and different markets we serve, and that brings diversity uh, in in job needs and in skill needs. So, so what's uh, a job that's frequently available at Lord? So, of course, we all we need maintenance employees. We need skilled uh, uh, machinists, um, those kind of skills. But many of our jobs, probably in fact most of our jobs are trained at Lord. So in Sagertown, we operate reactors to make our adhesives. And uh, you don't really go to school for that. But uh, there is a high degree of uh, capability required to run a reactor. Uh, In our ear facility, we run uh, large presses that uh, make our elastomer parts. 
We have a, a wide variety of equipment that we use to make our raw materials. And uh, many of those have uh, computerized controls. So there's a degree of technical skill required. And, uh, and so those are skills that we teach on the job. We're looking for attitude. We're looking for uh, individuals that can work in teams. We're looking for good communicators and people with mechanical aptitude that have the ability to learn. So character and some ability to learn. How about you, Phil, as, as far as when you're talking about tool and die, especially uh, where you are now, uh, that, that's some high skill, some high advanced manufacturing going on at your, at your location at industrial. At ISM, sales. absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, again, um, it's one of those rare uh, places, you know, a lot of, you know, start a machine shop, right? And, yeah. And, and a lot of people make a lot of money and they're very successful with a with small machine shop. And, you know, these guys just kept going, you know, then it went to, they, they went from CNC turning then they got CNC mills. Then they had to go into power coating because they didn't like the powder coating jobs they were getting. So then the assembly. So it's one of the few places, I mean, I've been in a lot of shops in my life and, uh, it's nice and clean. That's yeah. that says a lot about the company and the number of two thing. I was just how many different uh, processes ISM can take care of because it's a one stop shop for most of the stuff uh, that you would need done to a part. It's it's, it's a custom jobber. For oh yeah, and that's and that's the challenge. Yeah, and um, uh, I often wondered what it would be like to work at a, a great place like Lords, where you you are kind of in charge of your product. You you guys make a product. We don't make a product. We yeah. we the phone rings. You know, can you make that for me? Yesterday, Boom. yes, we need ten <laughs> okay. of them yesterday. Okay, okay? so um, that's the challenge of a of a job shop. You know, it, it, you're always at the mercy sometimes of the anybody will do it cheaper. Yeah. There's always somebody will do it for ten cents cheaper, right? So it's those those relationships you have with your customers that you know the the Rakowski family has spent half a century building, right? That still pay, I, I think, a lot of dividends, and of course they've invested the money in the ISO stuff. You know, making, right. and that's a the, big the time and money quality. commitment, right? Can we talk uh, together? I want to talk about this concept that, um, you know, Erie is uh, more into manufacturing than, than the state average and the national average. Is that a good thing? Are we vulnerable? Do you, do you see growth potential as far as in jobs in manufacturing, uh, Mark Rose? I mean, uh, you know, I, I mean, Lord, from what I understand, you're on a real... Uh, high note these days as far as your contracts and the work that you're doing? Uh, we are. Uh, again, at all of our facilities, we are growing. Um, we had uh, a year of of close to 8% growth last year, um, and we look to be strong again this year. Uh, I do think there are many opportunities in manufacturing, and, and I'll speak for myself as well as other manufacturing brethren when I say that, uh, that there is somewhat of a shortage uh, out there for skilled individuals to enter the manufacturing trades. And um, I, I do think it is an opportunity for young, interested individuals, both men and women, to um, enter a manufacturing type job, uh, grow with a company, and make a very strong wage for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, we're, it, it could be back to some of the glory years of Erie with that advanced manufacturing. Don't you think, Phil, or? Well, you know, you got to you got to look a little bit at the glory years, okay? This, this, Maybe at, they weren't that glorious. Oh no, they were glorious. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of money was made in this town, and especially yeah. in the tool and die industry in the '50s and '60s. You have Mark's Toys. I mean, right. everybody. You know, could well, start again, a tool again shop, I talk you know? about my my 90 year old mom right. who was when she was in her 20s and mm -hmm. 30s, she was winding uh, motors at GE. Uh, you know, well, let's, with 14,000 other people. Let's yeah. let's take a minute here, as your caller mentioned yeah. you know, about a smart kid with an aptitude for Sure. Mechanics. What's he going to do, right? Well, it, it's changed. Now, I was lucky enough when I came up in the late 70s and early 80s to learn the old ways we had to do stuff. Uh, you know, the old manual setups, the manual machines, cranking the handles, right? And then uh, by the mid-80s, late 80s, uh, the CNC equipment came in. Yep. And at first, I balked. I thought I could still do it faster on the manual machine. You know, John Henry and his hammer over there, right? And then I learned how to run a CNC machine. And I always kid people, it's like, if you knew how to do it the manual way and then you were handed this, it was like cheating. I mean, it was, yeah. it was so much more. Uh, we found that you know, in broadcasting. You, you know, know, it was. If, uh, if you knew how to cut a piece of tape on a, on a splicing block and now you had uh, computerized editing. I mean, it revolutionized these. Go ahead. I'm well, sorry. so yeah. not only do you get the work done faster. Yeah. It's better. Sure. Okay. It's re the machines repeat. 
Now, the glory days of running these manual machines, uh, it's fun. To, you know, I get it. People see those old machines. They say, oh, I just want to run one of those. You know? <laughs> but uh, and there still are some uses for specialized manual machines. But the point is, a kid today can go into this trade, and it's not a dirty trade anymore. Uh, machines have conveyor belts taking the, the chips away. It's always, because uh, uh, I'm the apprentice supervisor where I work, so I, I meet a lot of kids. And it's fun to see who's got their lights on and who doesn't, right? Mm. Now, they think they might be interested, but I always tell them, the trade's going to more and more to software and computer. The machines will do whatever you kind of tell them to do. You know, you said just have the three-axis machines. Now they tilt five-axis, seven-axis machines. And it takes a, a good mechanical aptitude and a brain to do that. But what a great job. That's where that's where you want to get. And, you know, and I think the guest that was on previous said something about college. You know, um, you don't need college to learn that. If your boss sees you have an aptitude and you're, you can get to work on time every day, and yes, you don't mind getting your hands dirty and working hard, but learning that software now to, that can run four machines and just have one guy changing parts or whatever, yeah. that's, that's, that's where we're going. That's the sweet spot. Yep. Um, um, just, Mark Rose. Just I mean, my opinion. We'll talk, talk about this, this concept of the proximity effect. I think the kid uh, would have to... Uh, know you know to kind of see hey the possibilities of being able to uh you know work at a place like lord or work at a place like ism where um you know with by by like rubbing up against it you know getting getting in, immersed in the possibilities and some of the career pathways that are happening in our schools the, are you hopeful about some of the things that you're hearing about through the manufacturers and through what's happening in the community as far as kids are like maybe able to see more of the um, of the uh, um, all the different choices that they have, you know, that could lead to a technical uh, career, like at a place like Lord. Yes, um, I, I'm affiliated with the Manufacturers Association sure. as well, and uh, for the last several years, we've hosted National Manufacturing Day, mm -hmm. and uh, where. Uh, high school students uh, ranging, not only high school, but middle school students from 26 local school districts are invited up to the Civic Center. And we have many, many uh, guest dis uh, companies that display uh, their products, their capabilities, the type of work they do. And it's a great venue for younger students to get a feel for the kinds of careers that are out there for them. I think uh, the drive and the the motivation that's that school districts are providing for kids to be able to see the opportunities uh, it's great uh, so they can make informed career decisions um, college is not for everyone uh, and again uh, whether it's uh, a two-year uh, degree in a trade uh, it could be a follow-on in a different trade school or uh, just applying your mechanical aptitude in a company that's willing to provide the training there are a lot of jobs that out there uh, for those individuals that that really want to apply themselves. And again, uh, uh, from a 56 year old man who's lived in Erie almost my whole life to hear the words, there's a lot of jobs. Just that statement alone, it has not been a part of our narrative for a long, long time. That's really turned probably in the last five to 10 years, wouldn't you say? Because because the the baby boomers were hanging on for dear life. But now it's changed, and now there's kind of this critical need. Speak to that. And and you know we have uh, we have a very loyal workforce, a great workforce at Lord Corporation. But there reaches a point in time where individuals move on to retirement, and we're looking to bring in individuals that that can develop those skills to to carry our business forward. And that's that's why I say uh, there are a lot of jobs. Some of them are replacing individuals that that are retiring. And some are supporting the growth that comes along. And, and I think many other employees are in the same situation. Phil, you know, uh, we, were, we were saying that uh, the, the, the high schools are really starting to expose the kids through career pathways and some of these specialty um, academies like the mm -hmm. Engineering Academy at McDowell. Yeah. Uh, well, a couple things. Um, you know, I'm the apprentice supervisor at ISM, not a very, not a very county, so I can right. see what comes my way. Yeah, I will tell you two schools right now that stand out. Uh, right now, McDowell High School, which is my alma mater, very proud of them. Right now, they've got a wonderful um, uh, some electives now that these kids can take, and uh, get them at least exposed to some things in manufacturing, some, uh, uh, maybe 3D printing, design, modeling, as I was discussing earlier, modeling up parts 
and then taking them right to the machine, that's where we're going, right? That's that's the holy grail. That's awesome. Then the other uh, school that seems to have an emphasis um, from my end is General McLean. Yes, yeah. And uh, um, uh, I've been shadowing uh, kids. They're coming out and spending a half a day with me now. So, and they're great kids. So that's been a lot of fun. So that, that I, that's encouraging. That's the first bright spot I've seen in a while because we all grew up with shop classes, mandatory in our, uh, uh, I believe in junior high school, I had a shop wow. class. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I still think the tech school is awesome. That's where I'm a graduate from the Erie County uh, Tech School. But the um, to have those basic uh, things for these kids to be exposed, it's not just getting your hands dirty with chips and oil. It's, it's, it's a lot of technology now. It's pretty cool. And I, and I, I think we want to make sure it's clear that we're not just poo-pooing college. I mean, both of my kids uh, and my third one is in college, two graduated, and one, you know, one's a mechanical engineer. And I'm sure Lords uh, hires their their uh, you know, pool of engineers every year to to keep things going because things have to be designed. But it's it's a pendulum that's swinging from a hard uh, need to just everybody has to go to college to back to you know what it's not for everyone and and the the, the big concern is that the college debt where where kids try it and they bomb out and then they have this debt and then they don't have a job either and so uh, speak to that uh, Mark Rose you're you still need those those that uh, strong connection with the area universities, don't you? Certainly, uh, there's lots of types of engineers that work in a manufacturing operation, whether it's manufacturing engineering, industrial engineering, mechanical engineers, quality engineers. So there's a a, a need for technical uh, skills as well as the uh, more of the the hands-on technical skills. So uh, there's lots of uh, lots of other uh, areas like supply chain management that are involved in manufacturing that that um, kind of hide behind the scenes but are, are critically important. Be- before I let you guys go, I want to ask about the community college. Would it be a benefit, as you see it, Phil, is it a benefit to have uh, one more layer, uh, to have that agile community college for skills? You know, I've, I've really tried to do my research on that, and yeah. I have to give it the thumbs up. I think it, I think oh. it would be good. I, I don't think any education we add is, could be a bad thing. And I think, in, as you used to use the word uh, agile, yeah, um, you know, ISM, nimble, small company, town, needs this kind of course for some people because we're getting a new product line. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, just to have that direct connection. I, I'm thinking now, it could a, be off there, but yeah. I like that. I like that part of it. Yeah. So I would imagine you're all in support of community college. I, I am. Uh, Erie is one of the areas that does not have. Uh, a community college structure similar to other areas of the state. Although I will say we need to strike a balance with available assets uh, and other available programs to provide a curriculum that that will most need or most serve uh, the students in our area. But I, I think uh, secondary skills learned through a community college would be a, a benefit to- uh, Does the manufacturers have an official opinion on the community college? Manufacturer Association of Business? I would say in general, we are support in support of it. Although I, I, I will speak on behalf of Absolutely, Mark Rose. Absolutely, as Mark Rose, yes. Okay. And, yeah, well, I, yeah. And, and again, it's one of those things that is uh, part of the conversation as we rigorously deal with the, the aspects of Erie's future. Where are we going as a community? Where are we going as a region? I want to thank you guys so much. Mark Rose, Erie Plant Manager of Lord Corporation. Phil... Uh, don't don't, don't bother. <laughs> the tool and die guy. Thank Excellent. you so much for being on with me here on the Joel Natale show. And I wanted to hang, have uh, Phil Kerner hang over for just a minute here because Phil, you have a great respect and knowledge of the history of manufacturing here in Erie. And I, I was, I was blessed to be at a, a Jefferson educational society presentation by Judy Lynch and it was astounding to hear the stories that, uh, of just one man with an idea, like uh, Mr. Lord, mm-hmm. who you know who saw that that vehicle mm-hmm. driving past, and it was squeaking. And they said, "I could probably come up with a something that, that would uh, you know, stop that squeak." And and your own family for a hundred years has mm-hmm. been involved mm-hmm. in manufacturing. Speak to that. It's 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 a part of our fiber, isn't it? In Erie, I, I like to say it's uh, in our DNA here. Yeah, and. Uh, my wife is not from Erie, okay? So uh, 
uh, she moved here when she was 15 and then went off to college when she was 18. Now she's back now. But uh, the, she she asked me a lot of times about, you know, what was going on here? Why did, why the factories? And it's a, you know, it's a beautiful thing here. In the census in 1910, my grandfather was listed as a pattern maker. It's kind of like a tool maker back then. In 1910 at Parker White Metal, which is amazing. It's still there, wow. right? PHP now, okay? And um, you looked at the, uh, you look at Erie and you see the people that came here. The, the, the immigrants, the immigrants with the skills from the old world, they knew how to move metal, make metal. They're, they're smart guys, smart guys. And uh, a couple of years ago, we had to attend a, a funeral uh, a thing, uh, uh, viewing uh, on the east side, Duska's east side, not the one in Wesleyville, Harbor Creek. So we, did, we came back through 26th Street, nice and slow. And Heidi had never been through 26th Street. And as she's looking, she's all these houses, you know, and they're getting, some of them are getting tired now, right? I said, you have to remember back in the 60s, these were beautiful houses. You had your two-story porch, might have rented out the top, right? And off you went, to, off to Kohler Beer. Off you went to um, you know, all those shops that were downtown, the, the forges, uh, all those plants that were there. So I never want to be the old guy saying, you know, the get off my lawn thing, but I have to tell you. When your manufacturing base is strong, because I listen to your program every day, and I'll listen to it even better now that you're streaming. I think I mentioned that <laughs> because I, 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 my corner of the shop is a little dead for FM sure. radio. So I'm listening to your program every day, and I'm listening to what Erie's going, where we're, where, where, what we're going to do next. What's next? And you know, it's a missionary town. People send missionaries to Erie, PA. Yeah. I, I, I mean, your unfiltered response to that was amazing. It was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. How do we get here? When you lose all those factory jobs where these guys could just go to work every day, and if your kid needed a job in the summer, there was always a place to sweep the floor, and he might have an aptitude for it, and then the next year, maybe he gets to run a machine, and then maybe, you know, off we go. That's not just one place. There were hundreds of them. Yeah, my, my friend who's a, a, a doctor now uh, worked his way in summers at Hammer Mill pouring tar on the roof at the plants. Well, it's funny you mentioned I mean, doctors, though. You know, one of my things I love to say uh, uh, when I'm teaching is uh, uh, some people were just born to work with their hands. They were just born to work with their hands. But I take it one step further. The great satisfaction at the end of the day, looking at something you just spent eight hours building. And you know it's not just looks good. It's precise. It's done. It's going to be great. Your boss is going to be happy. This is what you do. And I can tell you, um, uh, the Tool and Die Guy site, uh, that's where I, I do the lessons, Right. You would be surprised how many members I have are doctors. Wow. They, they, they're done. And, but dad was a tool maker or a machinist. They got the tools when he died 50 years ago, 40 years ago, and they've always wanted to build something. And they join up for lessons. And, of course, they always want to build something like a toy steam engine. It's like, hey, doc, slow down. <laughs> let's, let's learn how to read a ruler here first, right? But it's very cool stuff. So there's great satisfaction uh, and personal satisfaction from building stuff. You know, in Erie, Pennsylvania, that is our soul. I believe that with all my heart. We are truly the maker city. We are. And when you lose that, what steps in? Now, yeah. I appreciate uh, you know, the Lord Corporation's doing great and, there's, and ISM's doing great. There's those pockets. And there's still room in manufacturing. But probably, you know, the machines just took a lot of it away. Yeah. You know? So, uh, but if you like building stuff, if you're mechanically inclined, you know, the trades just change now. You know, there's always be room for talented tool and die makers. Always, but just not as many of them. Yeah. But if you can manipulate software and you can think in 3D and draw this stuff up on a computer and then and then put this into into a program and put a block of machine uh, steel on that machine and watch it go, you're now now we're talking. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Thank you Phil Kern for giving us that that perspective. We go from that historical to the future and Aaron Lewis from Sphere Breaks is here and and Aaron you uh you have a, an idea that could really revolutionize braking for not only heavy industry, but pretty much uh, all across vehicles, correct? That's correct. I mean, so uh, before we jump in on what, you know, what the, the silver tsunami is, uh, let's, let's uh, talk about from your sta standpoint, what is the state of manufacturing Erie County? Are you hopeful or are you worried? So I say that, the state of manufacturing in Erie is exciting and opportunistic. 
uh, for several reasons. One is the silver tsunami, which I'll talk about. Another reason is we're seeing a huge influx of outside investment from private equity firms and venture capital firms. And uh, we also see uh, an ecosystem of higher education stepping up and helping to enable and facilitate local manufacturers with new processes and new product lines. So, okay, Sphere Breaks LLC, making history by developing the first Sphere Break system. Your pat- patented technology leverages inherent design to outperform disc and drum brake systems in a much smaller package, unlocking new opportunities for multiple industries. Can you expound on that a bit? Sure. So our very uh, first market that we entered uh, took our sphere brake technology to the wheel ends of semi-trucks, trailers, and buses for Class 8 commercial vehicles. And what we were able to do was approach a segment where the history of braking is disc and drum brakes and it's technology that was really invented at the turn of the 20th century back when electricity was in its infancy so i didn't have any bureaucracy in my startup i didn't have anyone tell me you can't do this you can't do that i was very naive and i played into that weakness as a strength and said what could we actually cook up that would just completely disrupt this industry not just this industry but many others with this unique design and its inherent strengths and I approached the engineering team and said, well, why don't we create a brake that is significantly smaller, significantly lighter, that bolts on so you don't have to re-engineer the hubs or the axles? And why not? Let's, let's push it. Let's, uh, let's ensure that you can change brakes, the brake pads themselves, without taking wheels off. And that's what we did. We did it in five months. Not, we, just, we came up with one brake uh, for the wheel end, and we also came up with a, a driveline retarder system for the same commercial uh, vehicle class. And we did it in five months and we impressed a lot of people. And now we're designing brakes for the Marine Corps uh, and we're also in the uh, rail space. And uh, we have some new technology scaling down for um, racing applications, uh, bicycles and motorcycles. And we also have this cool little frictionless brake coming out in the next few months. And uh, it's been quite the journey. It's been very exciting. And to a lot of people's surprise, whether you're a stakeholder, an investor, or a potential customer, how easy we can scale it and it retain its performance characteristics. It's shocking to me to hear this because, you know, every time somebody's tried to make a fundamental change in the, in the automotive or, you know, or, or in the vehicle world, They've just come up against all kinds of the, the, the Tucker story. Yeah, the Tucker story. I, that's a, I'm like, I'm afraid for you. You know, sometimes I'm afraid for myself. You know, but I mean, you, let me you, let me move over. You think about the Tucker story and say, and then what was it? The blinking uh, windshield wiper. You know, again, this is Hollywood talking, right? The but headlight, the headlights turn. The, the headlights mm-hmm. turn. You know, uh, the um, it, it is. It, it, I mean, how are you able? To, to be a disruptor at that magnitude. Uh, so the beauty is we go to the customers. We, we don't go through the supply chain. Um, we go right to the customers. We ask them exactly where their pain is, and we try and solve the problems. And fortunately, customers usually have bigger pockets than the people they're buying from. And furthermore, you know, I could worry on a day-to-day basis that our technology is going to be stolen or it's going to be blocked or this and that. But... Here's the deal. We're, when you come up with a disruptive technology, you need to have the sauce. You need to have the, the drive, the persistence, and um, you need to be able to clearly think and uh, focus on very niche markets where there's a pull situation versus a push situation. And if you told me, well, you know, are you worried that someone's going to steal it? Not really, because they would have to go through all the pain that I'm going through right, right now. <laughs> and there's a lot more pain that we still have yeah. to endure before it becomes a commodity. And it probably when it becomes a commodity, then we really have to worry about it. But yeah. right now, it's still so new to so many industries that no one's really paying attention, which is fine by us. Are, are, the, are those corporations as monolithic as they kind of portray themselves in Hollywood to be or yeah they're definitely they're definitely powerful they definitely have you know full-time legal staff on their books um Mm -hmm. it's definitely bureaucratic and political um they have lobbyists in DC uh we don't have any of that 
So uh, we need to co-locate and we need to partner and, and do everything we can to show a strong united front across our supply chain and with our customers and deliver and deliver high quality um, to keep the momentum going. There's this concept out there, the silver tsunami. I've never heard of this. Many the people have not. Stuff. I, I think uh, it's only being stirred around in select circles and investing groups uh, regionally, um, but primarily in Erie. So silver tsunami. Silver means gray hair, and tsunami is the next four to five years. And basically what the buzzword is all about is that there is an aging um, group of business owners who are going to have to make some tough decisions over the next four to five years. And they can make three decisions. One decision is they can hand their company down to family or someone within their company. The other option is that they can sell their company to another company, or the final option really is they shut their doors. Now, why this is such an important um, concept theme that's happening in Erie that I, I really want everyone to hone in on is that we need to take this as an opportunity to help and facilitate those business owners coming up with a viable succession plan because the reality that keeps a lot of people up at night is that about 60 to 70% of those um, business owners in that demographic do not have a succession plan. And that's scary because yeah. if something happens, worst case is they close their doors and all those employees lose their jobs. And we lose that tax base and we lose the revenue and we lose those customers. Um, not to mention the uh, second and third tier effects um, that those companies are providing to other manufacturers in Erie. And if they sell, we, right. we more than likely lose anyway. Correct. I've, I've talked with many manufacturers who can't take on more business because they're doing business for their parent companies. Um, and it's, it's something that you know I feel very passionate about and I want people to understand and know. I don't have the answer. Um, I was going to say, what, what, <laughs> what would be a remediation of yeah, all that? I, I, think, I think it's just communicating that there's a need um, for um, potential inside uh, investment, outside investment, and for business owners who do fall in this demographic who may be listening to uh, take the succession plan process serious and start recruiting um, who could be their next um president or CEO or owner of the company so that we can take those uh, um, those opportunities, keep those jobs here, keep the revenue and the tax base here in Erie. Uh, but I also would like to, um, you know, reach out to the extended network uh, of business owners and see if they can pull some outside investment where there could be some mergers or, you know, something else um, that I haven't really thought of that would facilitate a, a life beyond that current owner yeah. who's coming up maybe five, 10, 15 years left. And then, then what, you know? So um, the silver tsunami is a very serious thing. And if no one does, if we do nothing, we'll most likely lose. The, the percentage is too high of the failure rate for succession planning. And I, it would, it would be, it would be very bad. And, you know, we need to keep the momentum that Erie has right now for manufacturing, um, leverage those, uh, four major universities to develop new products, new marketing plans, new processes, develop that outside capital, venture capital, private equity, uh, you know, even private investment from high net worth individuals to continue the story and to keep Erie, the manufacturing hub that it is. Let's talk about capital because uh, one of the things we hear time and time again is Erie uh, tends to be uh, on the short end of the stick when it comes to capital. Have you found uh, a, a different narrative than that? There is a different narrative of capital now. I would say that has really transformed in the past 12 to 18 months. We have a lot of powerful, experienced um startup owners, company owners, and investors who are not from Erie, who came here because of the excitement and the opportunity and potential that Erie brings. And they brought with them a lot of their friends who are not from Erie, who have a lot of money and also a lot of resources. And when they learn and discover all of the hip, cool technology and product lines that are being incubated here in Erie, whether it be cyber, 
manufacturing or some other um, service, they get really excited and they pour in a lot of money. And, and there's a lot of uh, buzz around venture capital and private equity firms from outside Erie coming in and also some high net worth individuals within Erie getting to play with those venture capital firms. And that just builds a larger ecosystem of capital. So I think the narrative has transformed significantly in the past 12 to 18 months. Do you think that there's uh, money on the sidelines that's local money that's kind of entering in? Yes, I, I agree. I think when I think money begets more money is what I like to say. When you start talking about we're going to raise a $5 million or $10 million round, that makes everyone perk up and say, okay, they're very serious about this and they believe in what this company is going to do or what this fund is going to do. Uh, that opportunity is definitely here. We're talking to Aaron Lewis. He's from Sphere Breaks. He's a, a brand new uh, entrepreneur. Actually, you've been at this though for 14 years or so, right? I yeah. mean, it's one of those, you know, uh, you know, uh, brand new, brand new uh, instant sensations who's been working at it for like two decades. That's you know? exactly what my father-in-law says. There's nothing like a 20-year overnight success. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, uh, let's talk about, you know, the concept where a mom-pop machine shop becomes uh, entrepreneurial and starts launching their own product lines. How often does that happen? I mean, uh, as opposed to being like a job, a job shop, you know, the, the difference between that and then, you know, you're creating your own line now. So the exciting thing that I see happening in Erie, and it really kind of the past 12 to 18 months again, is that I'm seeing a lot more job shops take the risk and launching new product lines where they traditionally wouldn't. Maybe for the past 30, 40 years, they've never launched a product line. It would just be focused on their customer base maybe expanding into some new markets and investing in new process, technology, robotics, AI, that kind of thing. But because of the ecosystem we now have in Erie with outside investment, with the universities stepping up, coming to the table and facilitating a lot of the prototype development, the business planning, the marketing planning, the competitive intelligence among all four of the major universities, those are all expenses that manufacturers no longer have to bear. Those are all free and I can tell you, I've used them, and that's how I got our um, license with the NHRA. And there's other product lines out there with other manufacturers who have launched products, and they're making money now. Yeah, when NHRA is the hot rods. Yeah, you're you're involved with the the motorsports business. We're we're down to like the last minute or so. I, I got to ask you about the community college because it is one of those things that has come up on every strata. Whether we're talking about uh, uh, an anti-poverty strategy, whether we're talking about economic development or we're talking about uh, the the skills that the skills gap. Um, what do you think? So I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, I've had the unique and um, privileged uh, relationship with the architect of the current North Carolina Community College system, Mr. Gregory Poole, who passed away about a month ago. And I can tell you for a fact, when it's done right, the community college system unleashes the best talent you could ask for. It's definitely something that I uh, support. Uh, there's about 70,000 students in the North Carolina community college system, and the talent is off the charts. It is truly amazing what, what they can do, and they're passionate, and they're driven. Um, so I, I fully support it. And we, got, and we got to get beyond the kind of the anti-intellectual approach because uh, we need smart people to to enter into these new roles uh, for these uh, for these companies. Absolutely, Aaron Absolutely. Lewis. Thank you so much for sharing your story. We're going to be watching Sphere Breaks as you disrupt the uh, breaking uh, part of the automotive and the in the vehicle industry. It's so astounding what's happening in our town. I, I, one of the things that people don't get is the the concept of what's happening in Knowledge Park. Where all of those big buildings have companies that are that are interlaced with Penn State Baron students, right, right. and they're just making stuff happen like 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 never before in this community. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, Aaron.